0: Our time is burdened under the cumulative weight of successive debunkings of our conceits. We live in the Cosmic Boondocks. It's Sunday, May 15th, 2011. Welcome to the Cosmic Boondocks, promoting science, free thought, and humanistic values in India. I'm your host, Ajita Kamal. We're going to start off this week directly with some news items. First news story is the death of Sai Baba, the famous religious leader who was also worshipped as a living God. He was a very rich man when he died. He preached humility while claiming to be divine and deserving worship. The believers claim there's absolutely no contradiction here. Sai Baba has been exposed as a fraud and a common trickster by rationalists such as Abraham Kavur, Basava Premanand, Narendra Nayak, Praveer Ghosh, and even magician PC Sorkar. Sai Baba died 10 years short of the date that he predicted he would die. Actually, Sai Baba gave vague answers to this question and also mentioned that he could change the time of his death if he wanted. The link to this is in the show notes. The believers, of course, have answers to anything that the rationalist might say. For example, regarding his death 10 years prior to the date that he had posited that he would die, here is one answer that was posted on gurusfeed.com. It goes, The case of the divine preacher is different. Generally, we find that the teacher spending leisurely the rest of the period, if the topic is over, since he cannot quit the class before time, he is bound by the rules of the institution. But if the principal enters and speaks for some time, there is no binding on the time. Whenever the principal finishes his speech, he can quit at any time and the concerned teacher follows the rest of the period. The human incarnation is the head of the creation. Now that is supposedly a logical rebuttal of the questions that have been posed by the rationalists. The link to this is also posted in the show notes. And while the newspapers wrote at length about the supposed charitable acts and miracles of Sai Baba, all but a few failed to note the various scandals and exposés that have followed this man over the last few decades. None had reported on the alleged murders at the ashram that Sai Baba had allegedly covered up with the help of the police and the local politicians. No case was filed by the police then, and no cases were filed to investigate the many claims of sexual abuse faced by teenage and young adult boys in Sai Baba's ashram. The abuse directly at Sai Baba's hands. The total value of the estate that Sai Baba leaves behind has been estimated at around 40,000 crore rupees, which is around 9 billion US dollars. The money will be handled by the Satya Sai Trust. The trust is completely unaccountable, and none of the audits of the trust are made public. No one knows how much money has been collected by the trust through donations over the years and no one knows how much of that has been siphoned off to various private bank accounts around the world. Our second news story is about a report from Reuters. Uh, Reuters is reporting that there's a bank in Uttar Pradesh where people write the name Ram on pieces of paper and quote, deposit it in the bank. Owner of the bank's name is Lovelace Tewari and he founded this bank apparently 25 years ago. And here's what he had to say. There is no need for security as there is no, no fear of any theft. People feel better by writing God's name as it becomes a medium to release their pent-up frustrations and eventually the faith makes them work towards their goals. What's ironic is that they're doing the exact opposite of working towards their goals. Apparently, some people scribble Ram's name up to a 100,000 times and Tawari provides notebooks for them to write Ram's name on. And this bank transcends communal lines. Apparently Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, people of all religions have been depositing God's name in the bank. The bank has been so successful that there are other media reports that two more branches are being planned. Every six months, the stacks of papers with Ram's name on it are sent to Ayodhya to be displayed. Your future is like everything you know It keeps flowing Our third news story has to do with the US Commission on International Religious Freedom report, which placed India on its watch list. They claim it's because, quote, justice for past communal violence continues to be slow and ineffective in India. The US CIRF is an independent and bipartisan US federal government commission. According to its chairman, Leonard Leo, India has been put on the watch list because, quote, incidents of religious violence are greater. The report cites several high-profile religion-motivated crimes against humanity. Also, according to the report, in some regions of India, law enforcement and judicial officials have proven unwilling or unable to seek redress consistently for victims of religiously motivated violence. <laughs> Impuniti, A really short news story. We just celebrated National Technology Day in India on May the 11th, The awards were first announced in 1998. This year, former President of India Abdul Kalam presented the awards and Union Minister of Science, Technology and Earth Services Sri Pawan Kumar Bansal presided over the function. In our last news story, Australian designer Lisa Burke has earned the ire of Hindu fundamentalists the designer's new swimsuit line has one design that has an image of a Hindu deity called Lakshmi and pictures of a model wearing this deity were plastered across the internet which had a lot of Hindu fundamentalists protesting in India over the over the last week. The, the protesters chose an interesting form of protest to show that they were offended by the images of Lakshmi being put on a swimsuit. They printed out copies of, of these images and they distributed the copies to everyone who's protesting. And they displayed these images to the cameras, making sure that everyone who has a computer got to see that image of Lakshmi on that model's body. And with that we turn to some science stories. A first science story has to do with the ozone layer. Now, if you were old enough in the late 80s and early 90s, you remember the talk about the ozone layer and the hole in the ozone layer. Scientists are reporting now that the hole in the ozone layer is getting smaller. This is great news. Here's a little background on ozone. Ozone is a form of oxygen that's found high up in the atmosphere and it acts as a protective sunscreen layer for the whole planet. It filters out the harmful ultraviolet radiations, which caused us cancer and other problems. And uh, this was a big problem in the late 80s and the early 90s. We realized that industrial chemicals known as chlorofluorocarbons or CFCs were the ones that were causing these. These chemicals were used as refrigerants in, in making refrigerators and they were also used in aerosol cans. A number of countries came together in 1989 and signed an agreement known as the Montreal Protocol. And scientists believe today that it was this intergovernmental action These countries coming together and the enforcement of the ideas that were signed into law during the Montreal Protocol that have resulted in this successful reversal of what could have been an environmental catastrophe. So This is just another notch in science's belt. second science story is a physics story. It's a new paper published in Nature that confirms Einstein's general relativity for large, large objects the size of galaxies and superclusters. Einstein's general relativity has been observed before for our solar system and they use the same technique. So basically they're looking for the bending of light. A lot of the modern re- research actually relies on on Einstein's general relativity holding true for larger objects. Now what this means is, for example, things like dark energy and dark matter are held true today only because the mathematics doesn't just add up if you assume Einstein's general relativity to be true even at those large scales. So now this is confirmation that we indeed need to keep looking for dark matter and dark energy. So this is some really cool stuff. Our next science story is on harbor seals. Harbor seals are a type of seals, uh, those mammals that you find in the ocean, and they have these long whiskers. Now, scientists have always known that these whiskers actually serve some function, that is, they give the seals some information about the prey or whatever it is they're catching in the oceans, but it turns out that we didn't know the whole story. Scientists have always known that the seals use these whiskers to detect the velocity of water and to detect prey animal by following the wake of their prey. But now, German researchers have actually discovered that these seals can actually tell the size and shape of different objects in the water just by using their whiskers. The research involved one harbor seal named Henry, and they blindfolded Henry and put headphones on his head, and and Henry then would put his head into a tank with water, and they tested to see if Henry could detect paddles of different sizes. So they were able to use this technique to say that the seal was actually using its whiskers to detect the size and the shape of the paddle that was being put into the water next to him. And they tested different sizes and he could tell up to 3.6 centimeters. And they also tested different shapes, flat, cylindrical and so on, triangular and so on. And he, he could actually tell all those shapes, but he couldn't tell any other shape. This was the best that he could do with shapes. The senior author of the study was quoted as saying... This strongly suggests that the seal can sense different species of fish. If the seal can avoid tracking fish that are too small or too big, this saves energy. Of course different species of fish can be of different sizes but they can also be of the same size and so this might have been driven by seals trying to find a size of fish that was just right for them, not too small that they'd waste a lot of energy going after it and not too big that they'd actually become prey themselves. science story also involves biology and evolution and it involves an animal known as the Tasmanian tiger. Now the Tasmanian tiger or also known as the Tasmanian wolf for its dog-like appearance was an animal that lived in Australia and I think also New Zealand I'm not sure about that but it lived in Australia. It was an Australian marsupial And it was actually around till the 1930s, so we've actually seen it, humans have seen it, modern humans. We've had it in captivity, we know that it went extinct, so we actually observed it going extinct. Biologists are still not sure exactly what drove it to extinction. We've had the species, human beings knew about the species, and then it went extinct. So if we could actually figure out what made it go extinct, what were the forces, the ecological forces, that drove it to extinction? Was it human-caused? What... You know, if we knew that, we'd know a little bit more about the phenomenon of extinction. The prevailing theory about the extinction of the Tasmanian tiger has to do with the dingo. The dingo is a dog that's found in Australia. It's a wild dog. It's originally from Asia. And these dogs are ruthless predators. Now, scientists had thought that the Tasmanian tiger and the dingoes were eating the same prey species, which is why the Tasmanian tiger was driven to extinction by the dingo. Now, Professor Christine Janis at Brown University and a few other scientists are challenging this idea. They published a new study that has looked at the elbow bones of the Tasmanian tiger. They have a few skeletons left over, I'm assuming. And they've actually suggested an alternate theory that has to do, that takes into account how these bones would have functioned When the animal was hunting. Now it turns out that there are two different types of elbows when it comes to predatory animals. There are those animals that have a stiff elbow and there are those animals that have flexible elbows. Now the difference is, when you have a stiff elbow, you tend to be a predatory animal that runs a lot. That chases its prey down. Dogs, wolves, animals like that. The animals that have a more flexible elbow that can twist around... Those animals tend to be stealth hunters. They hide, they they use camouflage, and then they jump at their prey, they stalk their prey, animals like the tiger. And it turns out that the thylacine, which is the scientific name of the Tasmanian tiger, actually has a flexible elbow. So it reduces the likelihood that they were actually competing for the same types of prey. Professor Janus was quoted as saying, People have assumed that the immigration of the dog-like dingo was a reason for the extinction but the thylacine had a different hunting style from the dingo, so it was not likely an issue of simple, competitive replacement. segment superstition of the week basically every week I'll bring up one superstition I'll talk about it I'll talk about its history we'll try to keep the superstitions relevant to what's going on in pop culture or if there's anything that relates to the particular period if there's anything out in the news the superstition that we are focusing on this week is the fear of Friday the 13th the irrational and superstitious fear of Friday the 13th usually there's about two Friday the 13ths in each year this year there's just gonna be one so it was just this last one that passed. Now this superstition is so prevalent in the west that it has its own name. It's called Frigga Trisky Decaphobia. Frigga meaning the name of the Norse goddess after whom Friday is named and Trisky Decaphobia, which means fear of the number 13. Like most superstitions no one really knows how this one started, although there are a number of theories. What is also interesting about this superstition is that it is a pretty modern fear. There is no recorded evidence of fear of Friday the 13th prior to the 19th century. One popular theory is that it's a compilation of two different fears. One is the fear of the number 13 and the other is the fear of the day, Friday. We will hopefully talk about these separate superstitions in future episodes and we'll try and go a little bit into the history of them when we discuss them. Now let's also keep in mind that Friday the 13th is mostly a superstition that's found in European countries and in the English-speaking world. Tuesday the 13th is considered unlucky in Spanish-speaking countries. There have actually been studies of the social impact of this particular superstition, Friday the 13th. One study found that there are between 17 and 21 million people in the US who are affected by this fear. Some people are so paralyzed on this day that they don't even go out, they can't do anything on this day. They they can't do their normal business work, they don't drive, they don't some of them don't even get out of bed. They're so paralyzed by fear of Friday the 13th. <laughs> I'm going to finish off the show every week with a little quiz for the listeners out there. The quiz question for this week is related to one of the news items that we discussed today. Remember early on we discussed National Technology Day which was celebrated on May the 11th. Now the question for this week is when is National Science Day? Do we have a National Science Day? And if we do When is our National Science Day? Also, what is the significance of the National Science Day? Why exactly do we celebrate that particular day as National Science Day? You can send me an email, ajitha, A-J-I-T-A, at nirmukta.com. You can leave a comment on the website, or you can send me a message on Facebook. Any way you think you can get in touch with me, just send me the answer, and I'll announce it in the next week's show. Now, this was an easy one this week, but I did this on purpose because I have a plan for what I want to do from next week onwards. So, the first person who answers me with the correct answer for this week's question, next week you get to ask the question. So, if you think you're going to be first, keep a question ready. The answer will be announced on the website and on the forums. Je cherche mon chemin, je cherche mon chemin. The music for the show is Rising Leopards by Epic Soul Factory, Get Back in Line by Jules Andrew, Painted Dream by The Green Walls, Tortuga by Talco, Sitariel by DJ Ad, Grandmaster Turtle by Anitech Pueblo Duerme by La Barca Dosua, Sua, Between Light and Shadow by Triplexity, Je cherche mon chemin by Epoutan. <laughs> The Cosmic Boondocks is a production of Nirmukta.com and Nirmukta Radio. I'm Ajita Kamala. Thank you for listening.